Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200K in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week, we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode. Welcome back for another episode of Digital Banter Live. So James, we've talked about ABM in the past on a bunch of different episodes, and we've we've crapped on it, we've vented about it, we've talked about the struggles with it, right? Uh, yes, we have. I mean, I remember some of those episodes pretty well. Uh, we had some disagreements, we went off on tangents, but... The, the setup here is we decided to bring on somebody else to join us in this conversation. One of those guys that's been in ABM for a long time, Mason Cosby. So Mason, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. Excited to uh, help set the record straight on ABM and maybe, I don't know, depending on how you feel about it, have some nice banter and disagreements. Banter disagreements is what this is we'll founded on. So let's see, right? We're going to convince him today that he needs to spend... Was it twenty thousand dollars a month on six cents, and I don't know, probably an extra two hundred k in ad spend to go with that to have any sort of success? Who are we convincing? Garbage can to vomit. <laughs> Who are we convincing though? Me? No, Mason. It's the oh. scrappy guy. All right. So yeah. So let's use that as a segue. So you started your own consultancy, Scrappy ABM. Now, what made you start that endeavor? So as you mentioned, I came up through the ABM space and everyone and their mother talks about the concept of the crawl, walk, run approach. But as you look at the actual service providers in the space, nobody does the crawl space. So as I was talking with people about how do you get started with ABM, somebody did say to me, and I, I honestly want to steal it and put it on the website and I'm, I just might, but it's, he just said, yeah, it really feels like when you're starting ABM, your options are I'll download an ebook or I'll buy six cents. Like there just has to be a middle ground to actually getting started. So that's the goal of Scrappy ABM is how do you actually get started building an account-based marketing program that you can inevitably scale up, but like it's not an ebook, you don't have to go buy the tech. It's actually the the Goldilocks middle ground that helps you get started. I feel like that's just like, I mean, to your point, it's a great positioning piece of things and a great niche to create yourself in. But I feel like that's just the struggle of so many brands, even those that we work with that are enterprise behemoths that think they've been doing ABM for so long, but it's this misconception and misperception that it's a tech first world and it's really not. Like text is just an enablement to allow you to get in front of the right people, hopefully. I think hopefully a great place to start because ABM, let's be honest, ABM is kind of a buzzword. It is like a huge buzzword. You know, it's funny in, I think my post promotion to this, I got a couple extra likes and comments because ABM is just like one of those people that things that people search LinkedIn for so that they can be an ABM expert and comment on LinkedIn stuff, which 
sorry if anybody listening was one of those people. I'm very happy you're here, but uh, it's a it's a huge buzzword, and I feel like nobody really knows what it means. So I think let's start with the definition, and then maybe go into some of the common misconceptions from there. So Mason, yeah. define it for us. Uh, I'm actually going to start with misconceptions because I think it's easier to define what it is when we understand what it isn't. So for a lot of people when they Google ABM or if they're searching ABM, they're going to land on probably the misconception that ABM equals ads. So again, you're doing a basic search and the primary tactic that a lot of these ABM platforms started with was display advertising through the Google ad network directed to your target accounts. So people Google ABM and they actually just think it's account-based advertising. All right, cool. So I just got to like spend ads and get in front of my target accounts. And then magically they'll just suddenly show up super ready to buy from our sales team. Totally makes sense. And that's like, sorry, the Mac update happened. So I keep getting things that like just had a thumbs up bubble, which is awesome. We may see some fireworks and balloons anyway. Um, but again, at the core, that's like a tactic within an account-based strategy, not ABM in its, in its entirety. So the true definition from my perspective is account-based marketing is a B2B growth strategy that aligns marketing and sales around a set of shared target accounts. I have a love-hate relationship with the term EBM. I think it actually should be like account-based strategy because it's not just about marketing. It is also about sales. The core challenge though for people when they just read that definition is they're probably reading it on an account-based marketing platform website. And then the right underneath that definition is like, if you want to implement ABM, schedule a call. So ABM is one of the only marketing strategies that is so directly associated with the technology that people assume that the tech is required. And again, the default when going to implement account-based marketing is not, let's find a strategist, it's let's find a platform. And at the core, the definition that I outlined has nothing to do with technology. It has everything to do with strategy. So what I'm trying to do through Scrappy ABM is actually take the same definition, just cut the tech to get it started so that you can truly aligned marketing and sales around a set of shared target accounts that you then go and close, that you use to grow. Again, it's not a technology strategy, it's a growth strategy. So that is my definition of ABM and how I'm helping people try to implement account-based marketing. No, go so ahead. one of my beliefs, so you mentioned it's about sales and marketing alignment. Right. And I have this kind of core belief that ABM was created as part of that dispute between sales and marketing. I mean, in my video promotion, I kind of joked at it a little bit, but and kind of what happened, sales marketing got in a big fight over the quality of the leads and who they should actually be reaching out to. And sales was like, hey, no, we only want you to market to the people who we are trying to reach out to. I guess where I'm going with this is like, it seems like it's a sales driven initiative and I'm not sure whether or not it should be, it shouldn't be. Um, I mean, the other question, like, is it right for all organizations? It's also thought of as like an enterprise thing, right? Like I'll tell you this, we see this all the time with clients, right? They split their business model between SMB and enterprise. And that line is always like a really gray, but what it means for advertising is uh, ABM and then everything else. So, sorry, I'm coming full circle here. My question for you is like, what types of companies is ABM right for? What type of organization does it actually work for? What like processes need to be in place for it to work? Yeah, I'm going to start with who is a good fit for ABM. So 
I think I have a bit of a different perspective because a lot of people say you should not do ABM if you don't at least already have clearly established product market fit. And as a, as a general theme, I would agree with that. Um, the nuance to that is we're seeing a significant rise in vertical SaaS. So again, SaaS companies that are dedicated to serving a very specific vertical or solving a very specific problem. And like uh, another prime example is also to think through, there's a company that I'm aware of that is building a marketing automation platform within an existing larger platform. So they can only sell to people that are on this existing larger platform. So like those are all vertical SaaS or like integration focused technologies. So like those should all be running ABM because if you think about vertical SaaS for some of these companies, their total world of accounts is literally a thousand companies period. So like that is a manageable enough list that you should probably just be only advertising to them in the first place. Now, if you want to get into the nuance of the difference of account-based marketing versus targeted demand gen, who cares? Like at the core, it's a list of people and accounts that you know you want to go after. So like that's the first thing is vertical SaaS. Honestly, regardless of like anything else, if you have a vertical SaaS company, you already know who you should be going after. You should probably be running some level of an account-based marketing strategy. For other organizations that are in the B2B space, you need a dedicated sales team. It's like I there are a lot of companies that I think very naively laid off their entire sales team and then suddenly say, we're going PLG. I don't think that move is going to work if you try to run an ABM program because you don't have a sales team. And also if you just, it's a whole other tangent. Anyway, <laughs> need a sales team. Uh, I think you also need in larger organizations in which it's not vertical SaaS, like a prime example for me, I, I'm pretty industry agnostic at the moment. I'm very problem specific. I solve the problem that you don't know how to build an ABM program. I help you get started. Doesn't really matter what industry, but I need product market fit within a specific industry. Why is there a thumbs up? <laughs> I, mean, if, I need a specific industry product market fit before I were to go after it. I know that I have what is called problem market fit. The problem I solve is a very viable problem. I have a viable solution, but I have not at, at this stage of my business. I don't, I don't feel confident saying like, oh, I crush it in this industry. I know I'm crushing it for specific clients, but I don't know if that's a diagnostic of the industry as a whole or that specific client situation. So again, product market fit within an industry, you need at least an ACV of ideally 50. I think you can get away with it depending on the lifetime value of a client. If it's anywhere from like that 30 to 50 range, but this is a, a pretty significant time in financial investment, even if you're doing it scrappy, like it's time. So you need the ACV to justify the amount of time that's invested to make this truly work. So again, those are a lot of things. I'll quickly summarize. Again, if you're vertical SaaS, you should be running ABM. Uh, if you are another organization that can really sell into any industry, you need clear product market fit within an industry. You need a sales team. You need an ACV that's over 50K generally. Or if there's a high lifetime value with a client, you could get away with like 30 to 50. Um, and so those are the things that I'm looking for as I'm looking at working with clients. I feel like that ACV kind of piece of it is important to kind of recognize because what we're talking about right now up to this point has been predominantly on net new customer acquisition. and if I go back to one of our previous ABM episodes between just James and I, you know, my argument against the same question he basically posed to me was, you know, what, what kind of companies does ABM work for? Well, it can work for anybody. If you have an existing target account list and you know who you want to be going after through that lens of like, 
and this typically falls on customer marketing more so than sales driven stuff. But if you want to upsell or cross sell or retain in any capacity, I mean, that's an ABM motion at the end of the day. It's mm -hmm. just you're not thinking about it because of the conceptions and perceptions that we were just talking about of it being a front heavy net new customer acquisition model rather than a through line that should be across the entire growth strategy to your point, Mason, of the business. Yeah. Um, quick spoiler. Uh, okay. If you come to work with Scrappy ABM, my first questions are almost always around your existing customer base to prove the model of account-based marketing because we can just view your customer base as a target account list. Again, you've already got great data there. You already know generally the pain points. You already know the decision makers and the people involved in buying your products and services. And there's already established trust. So then you can actually focus on, do we have the right content? Do we have the right channels? Do we have the right targeting approach? for our account by strategy as opposed to like who should we be going after because abm often fails because you even target the wrong people in the first place so i think that the one of the best places to start with abm is actually customer expansion okay so let's talk about kind of that one input around who we're going after as one of those kind of you know rabbit holes that i want to dive into who should be determining your target accounts? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it some guy on the boardroom that says, I want Pepsi. He needs, they need to be working for us. Like who's, who should be determining the target accounts? I'm going to give you two answers. So I'm going to give you the ideal and then the reality. Okay. So like if sales comes with the fortune 50 list and you're selling SMB, like that's just clearly wrong. So like, I don't care who comes back and is like, we want Pepsi. If you are selling SMB right now, you're not getting Pepsi. Unless, again, there are these situations in which that board member happens to know the board member over at Pepsi and can twist an arm and like, that's not really an account-based marketing strategy. It works if you can do it, but most people don't have those connections. So how do we do this for like the everyman? I think it is led by marketing, but it is a... I hate the word task force, but it's the only thing that I can think of is like a cross-functional task force. Because from my perspective, why I actually love ABM is it actually in like the most roundabout way also actually helps with company culture. And I know that's like a lead. Let me explain. When you think about strategically and intentionally, who are the best customers that we want to work with? Who's happiest to work with us? Who has the like the lowest complaint rate, the greatest like value of our products and our services? They're happy customers. So that when you think about ABM, it's like, who are going to be our happiest customers? So from the beginning, that means that they're actually engaging in marketing content, that they're actually learning from your brand, that they actually value the things that you put out, even from a marketing perspective, that when they enter into the pipeline, uh, they are actually happy to talk with your sales team. They recognize they have a significant problem and that you are a solution. And then when you actually pass them over to customer success, Customer success is not left with a dumpster fire of a customer base. They're left with a customer base that actually values the products and the services and wants to engage and wants to become power users. And as a result, throughout that entire process, when you have happy customers, you have happier team members and employees. Oh, and not to mention, if you have really, really happy customers that don't need a ton from the support team or the success team as a like to keep the customer in place, your finance team is also happy because you have a larger profitability on your customer base as well, because there's less headcount in like fires. So again, I think about it again, cross-functionally 
And as not just like a marketing strategy and a growth strategy, but like what's a good business strategy as we think about ABM. So marketing should lead it primarily from like a data-driven perspective of our existing database and the companies that we're seeing that as we enter into pipeline, what customer cohorts have the highest close rates for our sales team? I think sales comes in with a very qualitative, not qualitative, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, qualitative perspective of like, who has been the most excited and like, who are the people that proactively rope in other people so we can more easily multi-thread? And then your success team comes in with the perspective of who has been with us for a decade and who has had the highest lifetime value and who doesn't constantly reschedule their calls because we're not a priority. And then your finance team does have the perspective of these people have renewed at a higher and higher rate every single year. They don't ask for discounts. They actually are very profitable. So again, you can then create this persona and this filtering criteria for your ICP that then actually gives you a holistic view as opposed to these people engage a ton in our content or their Pepsi, like neither one of those perspectives are right. So that's the ideal state. Now, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to just give you your jumping off point to what's reality. Yeah. Cause like everything I just outlined is very hard. And most of the time <laughs> finance doesn't want to join the call ever. Sorry. Um, so that's why I think this is a starting point is marketing and sales. And <clears throat> generally speaking, if marketing goes to sales and says something to the extent of what are your dream 50? Again, they may come back with a fortune 50 list, at which point you're going to have to say, okay, what are your like reality 50? Maybe not the dream 50. <laughs> Maybe we need to rebrand re this a little bit, but like, who are the companies that you've been trying to go after? that you can't break into? And can we, in an intentional and specific way, try to help you and support you in that? And I think marketing comes with a list and says, based on our data-driven approach and all of our ICP research and all of our closed loss research, we think that these are great companies that we could go after. And I think then it's a pretty just simple split of like, you're going to see some overlap in both of those lists, hopefully. If you don't, that's a massive problem. But if you see overlap, those are the clear people to go after. And then it's like, okay, what do we have time and bandwidth for to fill up the rest of this list? And it's a mix of the two. So again, marketing is committing to sales. We're going to do everything in our darndest to help you break into these accounts. And as soon as we break them in, what's helpful about that perspective is that sales is going to jump on it. They're not going to get a lead and say like, ah, it's not a good, like they specifically by name asked for these accounts. If you can bring them in, they're going to jump on them. On the flip side, marketing is providing for like we're like lower hanging fruit, but because there's been that agreement on the front end of who we're going after, sales should also jump on those accounts. So again, instead of this like back and forth, oh, we passed over the leads, I didn't take them. We didn't send the right leads. You've all agreed on the front end. These are the best potential customers that we could go after. From our knowledge perspective on marketing and sales, let's start here. What you then get into is you're open six, uh, success, you're open finance. Um, but I think it's probably a phase two for most companies Ideally, it's phase one. But again, if you can get it started and prove the value, then finance is going to say, well, we got some really cool customers. How do we get those like that are high profit? Awesome. Let's work together to make sure that we get more of those. So how do you break into those accounts then? Because again, the misconception that exists out there is great. I'm going to go blow some money on a tool and I'm going to throw some ads in front of these guys. And that's what's going to get the job done. Yeah, I think to like add to that too, 
to make this like a little bit more tactical too, we talked about advertising being a misconception. There is a time and a place for it, but getting started, what are the channels that you're looking at, right? So you have your list, you know who you're talking, combination between marketing sales. I know we have a question here, why should it not be sales? Maybe we'll come back to that, but it felt like you did a good job with that. Um, The, but like what channels do we get started with? Yeah, great question. for a lot of customers and clients that we work with, they have an existing database and they have the ability to send an email. So I know this is controversial potentially given the news coming from Gmail. Uh, but like if you're truly intentional and personalized in your email outreach, you can probably get some responses from you. Now, is it going to be a 50% response rate? No, it's like a five to 10%. But again, the goal here is how do we intentionally, instead of saying, to our SDR team, here's a list of like 500 accounts, go after all of them and just dial down the list. How do we instead say, we're going to strategically go after across our five SDRs, you're each going to take 20 accounts and we're going to help you by providing some additional content and support in your outreach that's curated and targeted for these kinds of accounts because we know the specific problems that these kinds of accounts experience. You're going to then do research that makes the vertical specific or the industry specific problem level content, not just industry specific, but like one-to-one nuanced specific. So again, we're taking the, it's not general problem content. It's like industry specific content. That's very related to the problems that you solve. And then you give it to your SDR team or your AE team or whoever's doing the outbound prospecting to make it one-to-one to make it super personalized. So marketing's providing frameworks, templates, content. Sales is providing research and nuanced outreach. So again, I think that's where it starts for most people. Now, if you have a psychopath like me that is really engaged, like you can go the podcast route. So again, I use my own podcast as a way to invite target accounts onto the show to then re-engage them or to engage them in the first place to build a one-to-one relationship. Uh, I love a podcast for the opportunity to do pipeline uh, re-engagement and pipeline acceleration. Uh, I will invite people that are actively in a deal stage with me that I haven't heard from in a couple weeks on my show because they're going to say yes to come on the show. And then I have like 15 minutes before the show to say like, oh, by the way, like how are things going internally as you're talking through this contract? And I get 15 minutes before the show to just like catch up. Like that's an account-based play. You can do the same thing to get them into the pipeline in the first place. Uh, then also like really scrappy is the community play. It's like where are the communities in which your target accounts are actually hanging out. Uh, two years ago, when I was at another agency, I joined Peak, which is a community for CMOs uh, or rising CMOs. And I didn't sell anybody. I just like hung out, answered questions. It was like the old fashioned, like hanging out on Reddit or Quora and answering all the people's questions. And oh, by the way, I happen to have a, like I did that in Peak. But because I did it so much every single day, ended up selling a million dollars in revenue out of peak because I was just very intentional with the communities that I joined. So it's a roundabout answer. I think every organization can do outbound email and like there's a level of effectiveness, but the true answer is a back to the core of ABM online marketing and sales around a set of shared target accounts. So who are your target accounts? Where do they live? What's the content they're going to engage in? That's it. That's going to be different for every organization. I wish I had a blanket answer that works for everybody. If I did, I'd make a lot more money. But at the core, that's that's the thought process. And you can then get scrappy in how you actually execute on that.
And I think that's where it gets bogged down, right? People start to overcomplicate it. They start to create too many sequences rather than just going back to the fundamentals. And the other thing that I feel gets in their way is this perception of time constraint or I'll be honest, not wanting to put in the work. They want mm -hmm. it to be easy. That's why these tech platforms like Sixth Sense and Demand Base and everything in between exist. Yeah, exactly. It's the easy button that nobody is willing to push, but they really just want to push it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think, again, going back to something that we harp on too, is like that quick win mentality when ABM takes, I don't know, Mason, how long to actually start to see results from? It's a great question. Um, when I first started ABM, so like I, I built a literally zero budget ABM program for the first time. It was probably three or four years ago at this point. And it took nine months because I had zero budget. And what I did is I just started building a, a profile and a platform on LinkedIn. Uh, I would engage with my target accounts. I invite them onto a podcast. I'd comment on their posts every single day. And inevitably people were like, oh, Mason is a real human being that actually cares about me and has valuable things to say occasionally. Why don't, like, if I need a help with something, I'll go ask Mason. So again, it was the relationship play if you have no budget. But again, it's thinking through the relationship play. But like, I hate to put it really bluntly, most of the people that are like my now like close B2B LinkedIn friends started as target accounts. Like, I hate, and again, it's blunt, but like, I spent the intentional time to show up on their content every single day because I knew that they were the right fit customers. And also they engaged with other right fit customers because target accounts have, again, B2B is generally fairly small. Target accounts happen to probably other know your other target accounts too. So like if you can engage with them on social and then they like you back and they engage with you and then you build a case study out of them and then they talk about you on social. Oh, surprise. You now have just broken into other target accounts. So like, again, early, like if you're starting from ground zero, it could be three months, it could be six, it could be nine, it could be 12. It also depends on your average sales cycle. Um, Cause like I have worked with companies that have an 18 month sales cycle. So I'm sorry, I'm not gonna get you results in the first six. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but that's like, that's the unfortunate, it depends answer. Um, I'll say one other thing on how to make it go faster. Your existing customer database is likely brand aware. It's like if you start ABM within your existing database and you do an account-based program on those that are already brand aware within your database, you can probably get it to go a little bit faster because they should know that you exist if they're in your database. Or if you build an account-based program based on pipeline acceleration or customer expansion, those are already likely active deal cycles that you can build around and have a faster win to build the model. So those are how you get it to be less than six months. Yeah, and I feel like jumping off of that then to the one thing that we've talked about in the past is how do you use that existing customer set that is in theory ironclad from a data perspective and use that as a jumping off point to understand where the rest of your market likely hangs out because they share similar interests, pains, passions, et cetera. And it's just more of a proving ground for the concept and the idea that you can get not quicker wins, but more cost-effective wins when you actually go to the larger market. Yeah. Um, only thought I'll add on that is like, I've got a client right now that happened. I mean, I'm wearing their sweatshirt. It's it's fairly known that I work with Jay Schwedelson. He is like a behemoth in the like email marketing space. I, I mean, I, I work really closely with Jay. I talk about Jay all the time publicly because it does two things for me. One, I want to work with more people like Jay. Two, 
Uh, he's been an incredible client to me. I really love working with him. And three, to put it really bluntly, like Jay helps me open doors. So like he's trying to get me more speaking engagements this year. He's getting me on more podcasts. Like he's getting me out there because we have a great relationship and Jay's friends would be great clients for me. So like you can tout it pretty openly if you have the right relationship with your clients. You know what? This sounds like James. You're bound. <laughs> <laughs> Having deja vu of our conversation uh. with Jared from like two weeks ago. <laughs> um, all right. So I got a question. Measurement. I want to get into like more of a, a tactical takeaways on the measurement side. I and mean, we can all talk about revenue and time to close and blah, 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 blah. But what starting like day one in an ABM campaign, what are the KPIs that you need to have benchmarked? And what are the you know top three or four that you should be looking at to determine whether or not this is successful? Great questions. I'm going to give you like a lot of answers because it also depends on the kind of program that we build. So like, again, we'll start with customer expansion. Uh, did we upsell? Goodness gracious. I got to turn this off. Um, like, did we upsell? Did we, as opposed to just being a renewal, did we actually move into a higher ACV or if it was a customer that was at risk of churning, did we actually lower our churn risk? So again, it's like, what's the objective of the campaign? I need to put it that bluntly, but it's like, if you're running general ABM programs, you're not actually running ABM. So it's like, we're running this program towards these accounts to mitigate churn. Did we see a lower churn rate this year than last year or than we were anticipating and forecasting? Yes or no, also not successful. We ran this program towards these accounts because they were happy, they showed in high NPS. And as a result, we wanted to expand the relationship. Did we expand the relationship? Yes or no. Those are like the metrics that are the long-term metrics. And then honestly, like these are consistent across everything. ABM is a strategy. So like your channel level metric should maintain the same. Like if you're doing outbound emailing, do you have high open rate and do you have a high click through rate? Like that's pretty standard. Do you have a good click through rate on your ads and a high uh, cost per or a low cost per click, not a high, or like a decent cost per click because we're being targeted. But like your channel of metrics actually don't change. It's just like, what's the goal of the program that we're building and how does that relate back to then actually the metric. And typically speaking, your goal should be either lowering a metric or raising a metric. So I had to put it that bluntly, like that's it. Your channel level tactics are all the same. They should, they, there's nothing crazy or new on that front. It's just like, what's the goal of the program? Do you measure it by leads? No. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Moving on. So, <laughs> I mean, like, we're going to, the only, we're, we're going to cut out. Okay. That I'll, I'll give you a nuance. Know. I'll give you a nuance. <laughs> if you weren't, if you like the lead type approach, there is a value in understanding the number of contacts that are generated from specific target accounts within your database. Cause that means that you are having buyer committee, uh, expansion within that target account. So again, it's not like a lead metric, but it is a helpful understanding of at this target account, we have one point of contact that knows that we exist at this other target account. We have 50. Who has got the higher propensity to buy based on the data? It's likely the 50. So again, it's not a lead metric per se, but it is actually something helpful to track and to keep note of, of like, are we generating more contacts from these target accounts? Because let's think about how you guys buy. If you're looking at buying a solution and then you get off a call, James, and you're like, this was freaking awesome. I got to tell Andy about it. And you send it to Andy. And then That's Andy right. goes and like registers for a webinar or whatever Andy does. I don't know. Like, that's a helpful metric. That's helpful to know. 
Whereas if you weren't an actual buyer in an actual buying cycle, James would be like, you wouldn't even talk about it. You wouldn't even share it. So again, the expansion of contact within a target account, people may view that as a lead metric, but it's actually just a helpful indicator of, are they actually talking about us internally? And are we growing our awareness within these accounts? I think that's a great explanation because there's been so many times where we've entered client conversations and they are trying to lump in this lead gen mentality and measurement protocol with ABM just from the standpoint of, oh, we captured a lead from these efforts. Well, yeah, you should have, or why did you need to? Because you already have their information. Like what's the point of capturing a lead if you already have a database they can go to market with? So I think the way you explained that, Mason, was exceptional and helped to clear that up. All right. Well, now there's no thumbs up from Mac. All right. <laughs> All right, I feel like we can't end this conversation without talking about tech a little bit. Um, so I'm going to kind of keep this one, I don't know, it's not going to be short and simple at all. But I want you to kind of walk us through some of your favorite tools for, call it entry level, ABM, followed by the dream state. You know. We'll so for every every client that I work with, like the basics, CRM, marketing automation. And again, and I, those are the things that like you really need to just do modern day marketing period. Um, so again, I have clients that I'm working with in which they come to us wanting ABM. I ask them like, what's your CRM? They're like, well, we're using spreadsheets. And I'm like, so we're going to do a HubSpot implementation first. So again, from that perspective, like I need, I need it to be said, I used to assume, but like that has to be stated of like, before you should even consider any level of like scalable digital marketing, you need to have any ability to one, do some level of automation around just the data capture and like the data, um, cleanup and segmentation. And then two, uh, you need the ability to actually make sure that your sales team can manage their pipeline. And if it's living in spreadsheets, you have no guarantees that they're actually effectively managing their pipeline. So that's a starting point. From there, it's some ability to do outbound sequencing. So again, I am a huge proponent of doing some level of outbounding. I don't want to do, uh, I mean, I was talking with a client in which they were doing like 300 inboxes, emailing 200 people a day. And I was like, that's awful. But what I like from a value of outbound sequencing perspective is consistency in the message. It is better tracking metrics on our outreach. And there is some level of ability to scale it up and down a little bit, not mass. I don't want to do the like 200 inboxes, 200 cents, but I do mean like if you've got an SDR, that SDR should be able to likely do 50 to 70 in a day. And that, I don't think that's outreach. I don't think that's outrageous. I think that's pretty reasonable for a lot of modern day teams. So again, that's one thought process is like, you need some level of outbound sequencing. And then for, for the teams that I work with that don't have that, I recommend one of two tools. One would be smartlead.ai. So that's a very inexpensive thing. It's like 40 bucks a month to do, uh, I think it's like, 15,000 emails a month. So it's like way more than you would need, but it's their lowest package is 40 bucks a month. Uh, so, and that's month to month, unlimited seats, unlimited inboxes, all that kind of stuff. So it's like really solid on that front. The other one would be Apollo. 
Uh, Apollo is 60 bucks month to month and you get contact enrichment and you do get outbound sequencing. So again, if you don't have the contact enrichment, I recommend Apollo. If you do have contact enrichment or a really solid database that you're prospecting into, smartly it's gonna be a little bit less expensive, um, but and you'll have greater outbound sequencing capabilities. Um, the other thing would be using a tool like Propensity. Propensity offers free third-party intent data and the ability to build target account lists also for free. And you get up to 100 accounts on a weekly basis that are showcasing intent. So again, from there, the workflow that I recommend for a lot of our clients is if you don't have a great database, if you don't have great segmentation within your existing CRM, because again, I have to recommend starting there. You're mitigating the number of variables. You likely are brand aware. Again, starting in your database for prospecting, way better opportunity. If you don't have it, third-party intent data is a great place to start. You build your account list. You then use a tool like Apollo to do contact level enrichment on that account list, do outbound sequencing. And then Propensity also has the ability to de-anonymize your website traffic at an account level. So you, then you can do further one-to-one -one outreach for re-engagement based on those that have hit your website. So again, like if you're starting real scrapping, HubSpot marketing and sales hub is like 240 a year. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm on. Propensity is free. Apollo is 60 bucks a month for contact enrichment and outbound sequencing. So there's your ABM tech stack to manage everything. And it's like, Apollo, if I'm doing my math real quick correctly, it's like 360 bucks a year. So you're at like 600 bucks a year for everything from a tech perspective. Congrats. You can build an ABM program. That is starter state. So before I go into like ideal state, any thoughts, questions, concerns, complaints? <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's plenty of complaints, but there's a lot of going. people Googling those tools. That's what's going on. <laughs> anyway, All vision right. state, man, vision state. You got, um, now you don't have 600. Now you got 60,000 or 600,000. 60,000 isn't even going to get you six cents. I said go 600 on. then. Give me a break. <laughs> uh, I'll actually do it within the 60. I, I actually really like the propensity tool. Propensity is ABM for small teams. So it's super accessible. I recommend that as kind of your, like going from the free tier to the paid tier, because you get the ability to do outbound sequencing actually within Propensity. You do get contact enrichment in Propensity, third-party intent data, the ability to build your webs, like your account lists, and they are very playbook focused. So you build your playbook, you create a, a trigger, and then it's an always on program and campaign that's kind of running in the background. So like, I'm a huge fan of Propensity as far as like, okay, you've built the scrappy version. What's the next step up in that scale up for me is propensity. And then again, you can, you can ride with propensity for quite some time. Um, you may, if you get like really nuanced and really complicated, the terminus of six cents, the demand base, those might be beneficial. But again, for most companies that I'm speaking with and that I know, they actually will be able to do almost everything that they need with propensity alone. It has the, the appropriate CRM integration. So like that's, that's the next stage for me. And then the other piece, I think it's an incredible play if you do it right, is gifting. Um, so I personally, I've done a lot with Sendoso. Uh, I've worked like lightly with Postal. I'm a huge fan of ReachDesk and a huge fan of Lob. So like, I don't have firsthand experience with ReachDesk and Lob necessarily, but I like the people there and I trust them to do good things. So from my perspective, like if you want the Mason spent a lot of time in this platform. It's Sendoso. Um, but I also think that most of them are pretty solid. So the holistic tech stack, from my perspective, again, marketing automation, CRM, 
Um, and ideally you're moving up in tier because like I'll give you a prime example with HubSpot Enterprise, you can actually do workflows that automate the enrollment into sales sequences. So you can actually then on the sales enterprise tier, uh, once somebody's triggered, you could then kick off propensity plus kick off the HubSpot sales sequence all at the same time. And it's all automated in a way that is assigning the tasks appropriately to the sales team and all that kind of stuff. So like what I want to do is mitigate the, the duct tape if we're going to scale up because Scrappy is super duct taped. When you scale up, you should have better automation for tracking and uh, making sure that people are getting around to the right places. Cool. Awesome. All right. So last question for you. I'll pull out my magic wand here. Oh, no. So, you got a magic wand. What's the biggest problem in B2B that you're solving with it right now? What's the biggest problem that I'm solving? Yeah. If you had, if you could wave the magic wand oh. with, to solve one thing, what would you solve? It's going to be a, maybe a little bit out of left field. Uh, I would want to create an environment in which everyone had a base level understanding cross-functionally of what all other teams were doing from like a function perspective. And as a result of that knowledge, had a respect for it and could actually then better collaborate. Like at the core, I think the reason we have so many challenges and disagreements is like sales truly does not understand marketing. Marketing may have come up through sales at one point, but maybe their sales experience was being an SDR and that was it. So they don't truly understand the full function of sales. Nobody understands what finance actually does. And then everybody's just like, success is there. And that's just like, not the case in like all roles and functions are incredibly critical for long-term mission success. But I think we actually get in our own way too much because we feel like we're all credit chasing. We feel like we don't have respect for the other functions. And if we actually just understood the role and the purpose of everybody's job and had a respect for it, I think we could go a lot further, a lot faster. Okay. So you're solving world peace. In the that was world. deep. No, he's actually describing an AI tool that sums up all the tasks that finance is working on, marketing is working on, sales is working on, and then puts it at a board level, uh, read this to a five-year-old. I could do that during check. You know how I know he's been playing with AI tools recently? Just based off of that statement alone. I could do all of that with ChatGPT. Really? What are you doing? You could make way more money if you could solve for B2B world peace. No, I can't do that. But he's got too many other things on his plate right now. He can't he can't bother himself with solving B2B world peace. All right. So Mason, bring us on home with three actionable takeaways for today's listeners. Three actionable takeaways. One, if you want to build an ABM program, you don't need a massive tech stack. You can truly just get started with a CRM and marketing automation platform. Two, uh, the first step to ABM is actually not ABM. So if you're trying to build an ABM program, don't pitch an ABM program. Pitch a very short-term, very simple sales and marketing collaborative project that generates any level of meetings. Literally three right fit meetings will make sales entire month if marketing could deliver that in a repeatable fashion. Just saying. And then third is after you've actually built a good relationship with sales, pilot an ABM program 
with one or two sellers in a very specific vertical industry that solves a very specific niche problem that is largely based out of repurposed content so that it's not a super heavy lift. If you can do those three things, you could build a pilot ABM program that will actually have already been launched by like April, May. And then towards the second half of the year, you can get further buy-in to do a bigger program. Perfect. All right, man. How can people connect with you or learn more about Scrappy ABM? Three places. And I feel a little bit like Spaceballs when I outline it. So one, ScrappyABM.com. Two, Scrappy ABM the podcast. Three, uh, if you just look up Scrappy ABM on LinkedIn, my dumb face is going to be everywhere. Uh, so those are the three places. Like if you just literally look up Scrappy ABM anywhere, I should be there. Fun fact. Thanks to where I came up with the name. I made one LinkedIn post talking about Scrappy ABM. I was like, I wonder if anybody's ever come up with that idea. I Googled it. My LinkedIn post was the first organic search result. I was like, interesting. Nobody's talked about this. And three months later, I launched a company. So literally, I made sure that I'm everywhere if you just look for it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mason, thank you so much for joining today's show. Like, subscribe, check out more of Digital Banter's episodes, and go check out Scrappy ABM. Catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out ScrappyABM.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Mason Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.